0: time, which means you can eat your cookies, feel free to dig in. It's a really inspiring message I have for you this week. <laughs> You're going to feel so inspired and encouraged by the word in your fortune cookie this morning. <laughs> We're in Proverbs chapter 6. Verses 16 through 19. The rest of them are way more encouraging, I promise. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. And uh, here's what our scripture says this week. Starting with what's in your fortune cookie. It's a great fortune. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Are you guys inspired yet? <laughs> inspired not to be that guy, right? Uh, so so here is, here's my thought. I've had this, this series... Uh, in my mind for a couple of years now uh, that I wanted to go through Proverbs. There's 31 chapters of Proverbs. There's 31 days in a month. Uh, we'll read a proverb together each day, and then uh, whatever the day is if Sunday falls on, uh, it's going to be, uh, we're going to preach from that chapter. So there's something engaging with you on what you're reading today. And so if you haven't read today's yet, this is today's chapter, or at least three verses of it. And I promise the whole chapter is not quite this harsh. Uh, but, uh, a few years ago, when I started coming up with this idea, uh, I remember the whatever month it was I had chosen that we were going to do. I was going to do this series, uh, was way more inspiring than this week's. <laughs> it was a different. It were different chapters, right? Because it's a different day that Sunday falls on, and I thought, man, this will be really good. But then when we were looking for the fall, I thought I really want to do this series. I have not done it yet, and I really want to do this series uh, because I just we just didn't get to it the last time I had thought about it, and uh, so. When I started reading through Proverbs 6, I thought, okay, there's there's some good stuff in Proverbs 6, but if we're going to read the chapter, I should probably focus on the most extreme thing that it says, which is that there are things the Lord hates. Hate is not normally a word that we think of when we think of God. right? Because normally we think of God as the God of love. Because uh, John writes in the New Testament that God is love. Love And normally we see love and hate as two opposing things. You can't be loving and hateful at the same time. So the first thing I want to point out in these, in these verses this morning is that, is that these are things that God hates, not people that God hates. Right? He hates these things. Some, sometimes they are choices we make. They're things that we do. Uh, we'll, see, we'll talk in a moment about the fact that most of these things are things that we do with our body. There are things that God does not like for us to do. But it's not just that God doesn't like it, because that's the first part. Six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. This word detestable uh, is essentially the, like it's incompatible with who he is. It's incompatible with who we're designed to be. These things don't fit with the very character of who God is and who he's intended you to be. And in fact, the last word, when it says that there are seven detestable to him, that phrase to him at the end is this, is this Hebrew word nephesh. Nefesh, nefesh it means the soul or life of a person. It's, it's what's deepest inside of you, the core of who you are. So it says these seven things are completely incompatible with life itself, with the soul of what God intends, the very essence, the deepest part. These things conflict with, God, with God's design. And so here's what those, those seven things are. The first is uh, haughty eyes. And uh, I think sometimes we, we confuse that word haughty. It's, it's, it's really it's this idea that, uh, let's summarize it this way, because we can summarize it in one word. It's pride. <laughs> pride. <laughs> Haughty eyes are eyes that, that set ourselves up above God and above others especially. In essence, we claim faith in ourselves. And I think that haughtiness is tied to the eyes because pride blinds us to what's actually happening in front of us. Pride and haughty eyes, it makes us see things that make us look better. It's a self-aggrandizing thing. We overvalue ourselves, and we undervalue everyone else. The way that we see the world is tinted by pride. So he hates haughty eyes. The second thing it says he hates is a lying tongue. This one's pretty simple. We don't tell the truth. God hates when people don't tell the truth. Now, I think there's two reasons for that. The first is because in John 14, Jesus says that he is the truth. So if we're if we're saying something or doing something that is not the truth, it cannot be from Jesus. Because he is the truth. And he says in John 8, 32, that it's the truth that will set you free. Right? Not lies or things that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better, but the truth. The truth is what will set you free. And it's because he goes on in that same chapter in John 8, and he says that, that Satan is the father of all lies. So you have this dynamic set up where you have Jesus who says, I am the truth. And you have Satan who's, who is the, the father of all lies. And it's easy to see why God detests a lying tongue. Because a lying tongue does the work of the enemy, not the work of Jesus. And James, James talks about the tongue immensely. If you've never read uh, the book of James, it's not very long. You should go check it out. Uh, when I was in uh, ministry school, they called James uh, the butt-kicker gospel uh, because James's whole point is you have to live out the thing you say you believe. You have to do something about it. Faith without works is dead. But he has a whole monologue in, that, in, in his letter about the power of your tongue. And he says things like, brothers, with the same tongue, we praise God and we curse men. How can that be? <laughs> so God hates haughty eyes and a lying tongue. And then number three, it says, hands that shed innocent blood. You know, our, uh, our, our mission here, our, our uh, goal as a church is to connect people to abundant life in Jesus. Because we believe that life comes from Jesus. And so to shed innocent blood is to steal life. It's like stealing something directly from Jesus' house. Now, we know that God is not thrilled about this because in Genesis chapter 6, when we're leading up to the flood, right, when, when God wipes out the whole earth, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, it says that violence in the world was part of the reason God flooded it. (laughs) Because he looked at the world, and the world was so violent. Got to be done with it. Now, Jesus really challenges us on this one, because when we think of hands that shed innocent blood, what we think of is murder. And we know that when Jesus talks about murder in the Sermon on the Mount, he likens hatred to murder. And he says, what's the heart of this, right? Murder happens because of what was already in our hearts. So I don't want you to just overlook the hands that shed innocent blood, because that's the one I felt as I read through. I went, oh, I got one of those at least. Doing good. (laughs) That one's easy. (laughs) But then I think of the way that Jesus teaches on it, and I thought, man, maybe I got more to think about here. Number four, it says, a heart that devises wicked schemes. Now the heart, you have to remember, the heart was kind of seen as the center of our being. It's like, it's like who we are flows out of the heart. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, Jesus says that the words we speak, he says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Which means that the things that you say started in your heart first. <laughs> you felt them before you spoke them. And this is true, I think, of whether you're speaking kindness in life or if you're speaking death or judgment. Either way, it started in your heart. You thought it first. You felt it first before it came out of your mouth. Now, we do know that there are plenty of people who will claim, even self-claim sometimes, uh, that, uh, that they speak before they think. And let's, let's be honest, that's kind of a problem. <laughs> we should probably think things through before we speak them. But at the end of the day, they always have a root in our hearts. And so he says that he hates a heart that devises wicked schemes. It's, this is the opposite of the idea that God has of us stewarding and caring for his people. God wants us to think things of life, right? I think of the In Philippians, where it says whatever is true and good and holy, these are the things we're supposed to think on. These are the things that we're supposed to devise schemes for. How do we be more good, more holy, more godly? And so he hates the heart that devises wicked schemes. And then number five, feet that are quick to rush into evil. See, this is the consequence of those wicked schemes that were just going on in our hearts. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. Not just feet that rush into evil, but feet that do it quickly. Quickly implies that this is my go-to response. <laughs> that my natural response is to do the wrong thing. <laughs> now, if we're being honest, all of us have had moments where it certainly feels that way. <laughs> right? Somebody does something to us, and the first thought in our head is so unholy, we're afraid that we thought it. <laughs> you guys know. <laughs> Because what we wanted to do, our initial instinct was to put our feet quickly into evil. And what he's talking about here is this reset of what our natural tendencies are, our natural go-to answers in situations. They have to be different. Because before we knew Jesus, most of us, the answer was quick to run into evil. And we would have never called the things, our choices, evil. We would have called them justified, because somebody did something to wrong us, somebody did something that that brought out this response in us. But then then when we get to know Jesus and we go, oh wait, this is supposed to be reset. When we read in Romans that, that we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that our natural tendencies have to shift, that wickedness can no longer be our reflex, oof. But there are still two more things. You have Number six, a false witness who pours out lies. Now, this one sounds very similar to the one just a couple ago about a lying tongue. Here's, here's the transition that I would argue in, in verses six, or number six and seven on our list. A lying tongue and a false witness, they're very much, very much the same thing. However, what I would argue is that in this one and in the next one, uh, this is how this person that he is describing, these actions, influence someone else. Because I can, I can tell lies to myself, but here it's a false witness. A witness is somebody who's giving report of what they've seen. A false witness who pours out lies. These are lies that disrupt harmony. They sow uh, disunity. They're things that people speak toward one another that change our relationship with each other. They sow doubt and suspicion, which leads to more of the violence that he already said he hates. <laughs> Which is why a false witness who pours out lies, and then the number seven, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Right? The person's lies and evil disrupt the harmony and unity in the world. They pit others against one another. It's an us versus them mentality, and it spreads fast. There's an old fable uh, in Aesop's fables. There's an old fable about the lion and the four oxen. Uh, you may have heard this one. Uh, it says that a lion used to prowl about a field in which four oxen used to dwell. And many a time he had tried to attack them, but whenever he came near, they turned their tails to one another so that whichever way he approached, he was met by the horns of one of them. Makes sense? They're all backing into each other, right? And at last, however, they fell quarreling among themselves, and each went off to pasture alone in a separate corner of the field then the lion attacked them one by one and soon made an end to all four <laughs> see when there is when this is why God hates conflict being stirred up purposefully now certainly there are there are moments in the gospel where we see Jesus clearing the temple and you think man Jesus is causing conflict but i think sometimes there's a difference between between conflict, because conflict is always kind of seen as a negative word. It's never a positive word, whether it's in Scripture or in the world. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, man, I can't wait to be in more conflict today. Right? We hate conflict. <laughs> Most of us make decisions in our lives purposefully to avoid conflict. Right? We, we, will, we will let things slide. We will, we will do things differently so that we don't have to be in conflict with someone sometimes to our own detriment. (laughs) Because conflict doesn't have to always be negative. We see it as negative. We see confrontation as negative. But we're going to talk in a couple of weeks later on in Proverbs about accountability and community and what that looks like. There are ways to healthily build each other up. He's saying here that conflict, person who stirs up conflict on purpose, person who's Trying to get people to pit each other against each other is not doing the work of God. Because the work of God is what? To bring life. And Jesus said that they're going to know you're my disciples. Why? Because you're unified. <laughs> so these seven things haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now, what's not lost on me here is that five of these seven, the first five, are all connected to our body parts. Eyes, tongue, hands, heart, feet. There's a connection, and it always has been, a connection between the physical world, who we are that everybody sees, and, and the spiritual world that's always at play around us. And we talked about this a little bit last week, uh, when I talked about my time in Uganda, we sh- I, I shared that they see everything as having some sort of supernatural or spiritual component. And the same is true in our lives, and it's why we see here these connections to the eyes and the tongue and the hands. And it's almost like this, this passage lays out like the opposite of the armor of God. Because the armor of God is all about protecting and, and, and using what we have for good, right? For for kingdom purposes, to keep us protected from the enemy and to bring us forward in the kingdom. And what we have here is sort of the anti-armor of God. They say if you really want to run from God, here's your list. <laughs> and the idea here is that these things corrupt an entire person. That it's not just a part of you. Right? You can't you can't have part of this and not be fully corrupted. Because we like to think of it that way. We look at the list, we think of the seven, and we go, all right, I can check off four of those. I'm doing good on four, but there's these other three. So I'm, I'm, I got, that's the majority, I win. <laughs> but the idea here is that there's, there's a corruption that happens within us that comes from our head to our foot, <laughs> right? From the eyes all the way to your feet and everything in between. They represent all the practical ways that we interact with people. I mean, think about it. We we use our eyes and our mouths and our hands and our heart and our feet. These are things that we have to use to interact with people. Now, my hope is that you're not using your feet the way that my children use their feet to interact with each other. But maybe it's in a spiritual sense we do. We use our bodies. We use who we are, what people see. We don't use it well. Often, uh, sin and holiness are both connected to, our, to what we do with our bodies. Because these things, they start in our heart with those thoughts, and then we act them out. I mean, you look through like the list of, of, of sinful things, and so many of them are things that we do with our eyes and our hands and our feet. And so I looked at this list, and I thought, okay, That's a hefty list. And it's not just that, and it'd be different if it says, like, you know, do your best to avoid these seven things. Okay, that's great. But I feel like I have to take special attention when it says that there are seven things that are seen as detestable to God. It's not just these these seven rules of suggestion. It's seven things that the Lord hates. I don't want to do things the Lord hates. (laughs) If anything, I want to hate the things the Lord hates. (laughs) I want to be upset with myself when I fall into these traps. I want to have the conviction when I get some haughty eyes. I want to feel convicted, because I think one of the most dangerous traps we can fall into is trying to justify why we have these things. And so often, that's the way we approach our shortcomings. We, we've, we have to find some way to, to justify why we are the way that we are, <laughs> instead of saying, OK, If I'm not supposed to have haughty eyes, what am I supposed to have? (laughs) How do we correct what's the right side of this? If we've looked at the wrong side of the list, then what things must the Lord love? Well, thankfully, I didn't have to go far. There's a writer named Johan Pereira uh, who has some ideas on some of these opposites. And so I'm going to share those with you this morning. He says, our eyes used to be haughty. Now we can use our eyes to find out the good things that others are doing for God's glory and appreciate them. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. In the past, we used the tongue to lie to each other. Now we can use it to encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. In the past, we used our hands to shed innocent blood. Now we use them to serve the Lord. 2 Timothy 1.6 For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. In the past, we exposed the heart to every kind of evil. Now that Christ has given us a new heart, we must guard it closely. Proverbs 4.23 Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. In the past, we used our feet to rush into evil. Now we can use them to rush to the help of the needy. Hebrews 13:16. Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. In the past, we spread false testimonies. Now we spread the testimony of the freedom Christ, Christ offers to all. Acts 10:42. he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. In the past, we stirred up dissension among our brothers. Now we promote unity. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's a pretty good list. (laughs) If there were ever a list of things that I were going to like print out and put on the wall as like a daily reminder of like what things should I be doing, it's got to be this one (laughs) to encourage, to build up, to bring unity. To serve the Lord. To guard our hearts. It's a great list. These are things that that I believe that the Lord loves. He loves when we do these things. But those things are hard to do by ourselves. They're hard to do when when our natural tendencies and the things that we've learned, and certainly the world around us, what they teach us, is the opposite. I mean, at the very first one, right, haughty eyes, self-promotion is essentially the world we live in right now described in one word. Right? Everybody wants to be Internet famous. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who get Internet famous for the wrong reasons. A lying tongue, saying what you need to say to get what you want. These are things that just naturally happen. So how do, we, how do we overcome this list in Proverbs 6 and become closer to the opposites that Johann Pereira puts out? I think there's, there's one way that stands out in my mind, and it's to know Jesus. And not just to know Jesus at a surface level where we, where we know of Jesus. Because there are lots of people in the world who know of Jesus, but to truly know Jesus, to understand his heart, to, to desire his heart, that's a whole different level of knowing someone. And it's why I think when you look at like the Old Testament, and it talks about Adam knowing Eve, right? And we all go, oh, knowing, right? It's because it's even that in marriage, it's deeper knowing. It's not just what you do with your body. It's what you do with your heart and your spirit. It's, it's knowing someone at such a level, an intimacy that is beyond just what happens in your body is an intimacy that happens at that level, knowing someone, truly knowing someone. To know Jesus. And the great part is the, the Bible tells us that we can have that, that Jesus wants us to know him because he certainly knows us, <laughs> He wants to know us. He wants to know us so much that we all know the story, that he, would, he offers himself to us. That to overcome these seven things, to overcome the numerous sins, because let's be honest, that list of seven is just the start of our mess. It's just the start. Then over to come, overcome it, he would offer himself. He would do the hard work. And I've often heard it described as a, like a, a chasm, and we're on one side and God's on the other, and our sin is what creates this, this chasm in between. And Jesus is the one who builds the bridge to get across. And then he just asks us to walk across the bridge. <laughs> he does the hard work. Right? He, he comes and he offers his body, and he says, "There's a new way." A way of sacrifice, but a way that leads to life. It looks like sacrifice now. It's a broken body hanging on a cross. It's blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. It looks like sacrifice, but it's the only way that leads to life. The only way. It's the only way that we overcome these seven things that are detestable. It's the only way that we, that we choose what is right and holy is with his help. And so the